0: Good morning. My name is Mary Carol Schoberg, and I'm reading your scriptures this morning. Today's Old Testament passage is from the book of Exodus, chapter 24, verses 12 to 18. The Lord said to Moses, come up to me on the mountain and wait there. And I will give you the tablets of stone, which the law and the commandments, which I have written for their instruction. So Moses set out with his assistant Joshua, and Moses went up into the mountain of God. To the elders, he had said, wait here for us until we come to you again. For Aaron and Hur are here with you. Whoever has a dispute may go to them. Then Moses went up on the mountain and the cloud covered the mountain. The glory of the Lord settled on Mount Sinai and the cloud covered it for six days. On the seventh day, he called to Moses out of the cloud. Now, the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire on the top of the mountain in the sight of the people of Israel. Moses entered the cloud and went up on the mountain. Moses was on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Precarious, this.
0: Sorry, today's gospel reading is from the book of Matthew, way at the other end of the Bible. It's kind of nice that we're starting to read from this wonderful book up here does give the reader a little challenge (laughs) Matthew chapter 17 verses 1 to 9 six days later Jesus took with him Peter and James and his brother John and led them up a high mountain by themselves And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. Then Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here, if you wish, I will make thee three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, suddenly a bright cloud overshadowed them, and from the cloud a voice said, This is my son, the beloved. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell to the ground and were overcome by fear. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, get up, do not be afraid. And when they looked up and saw no one except Jesus himself alone. This is the gospel of Christ. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ.
2: May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our strength, our rock, and our redeemer. So as we've heard a couple times now, today is Transfiguration Sunday in the Christian calendar. It's the final Sunday before the season of Lent. Today we mark, as you may have guessed, the transfiguration of Jesus. When you hear the story, you kind of get why it has its own day in the calendar, because it's it's wild. (laughs) It's wild what happens on the mountaintop. Jesus, we're told, takes two of his right-hand disciples, or three of his right-hand disciples, James, Peter, and John, with him up a mountain alone. We're not sure which mountain exactly. It's likely Mount Tabor, but we do know that it is high up. It is high up. Think I like to think Paradise Meadows, but far less green, uh, <laughs> seeing as how it's the Holy Land. Uh, pressing against the clouds, its peak neighboring heaven. And, you know, mountaintops are holy places, what the ancient Celts would have called Thin spaces where heaven and earth intersect. The scene where the seen and unseen realities meet together. And Jesus and Co are just up there praying away, and suddenly Jesus' appearance completely changes before their eyes. He is transfigured. His face lights up bright as the sun, and his clothes a dazzling, bleach white. And if that isn't strange enough for you, it, Moses and Elijah are there too. These two guys are pillars of the Old Testament. Moses went up Mount Sinai to receive the law and saw God face to face. And Elijah, a prophet, encountered God up in a mountain in a still, small voice. And other, what they have in common, other than the fact that they're supposed to be dead, is that they're both featured in the book of Malachi at the end of the Old Testament, that Malachi says that at the end of the age, the end of time, these two will be there, Moses and Elijah. So when you see these two together again, you'll know the day of the Lord is at hand. And you know, there they are on the mountain, just casually chatting with a shimmering Jesus. Like I said, it's pretty wild stuff. But all this stuff, the holy mountain, the gleaming appearance, the presence of Moses and Elijah, they're all there to say one thing. They're all there to say one thing that Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the one sent by God to set the world right, and that his victory is at hand. So God is flooding this whole scene with brightness to make this point. I mean, if I saw something like this glowing rabbi, two dead guys on a mountain talking, I would probably flee immediately, you know, Scooby-Doo style down the mountain. But Peter's reaction is the opposite. I mean, he is, he's pumped. Lord, he says, Lord, it's good to be here. It's good to be here, he says. Truth, beauty, and goodness are in the air. I mean, it's clear that they're, you're the Messiah, they, they say, and we're in the presence of God. We might as well set up camp a tent, you know, tents. One for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah, some for us. And we should just stay. We should just stay up here. Because when it comes to heaven, this is about as close as it gets. These guys have got just about as close to God as it gets. And they want to stick around for as long as they possibly can. And you can't really blame them. You can't really blame them. I mean, on one hand, I mean, when we see beauty, we kind of want to linger. Um, But, I mean, in the chapter before this one, Jesus said he was going to be crucified. Uh, That he was on the way to Jerusalem where he'd meet suffering and death on a cross to be raised again three days after. And Peter tried to talk Jesus out of it. Don't do it, Jesus, he said. To which Jesus replied, get behind me, Satan. And, you know, tell us what you really think of Peter's idea Jesus. Um, if you want to become my followers, Jesus said, "Let, let you, deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will find it. There's no going around it, Jesus says. For him, death, suffering, the cross, they're unavoidable. And anybody who wants to follow him is destined to end up the same way. To quote the late Jesuit priest and activist Daniel Berrigan if you want to follow Jesus you better look good on wood (laughs) so no wonder Peter so eager to stick around up on the mountain at a thousand feet because up here it's all joy and brightness and angel choirs and trouble and pain-free walking on sunshine whereas down there down here There is a cross. Maybe if they set up shop on top, they can stay safe. Maybe they can avoid the pain the hurt the terror that's all down below. Now, it's easy, I'll admit, to look at this and see Peter as a coward. About half the sermons I've ever heard kind of condemn Peter as a kind of trembling escapist. Peter's like one of our great punching bags in the Bible. You know, he prefers the pleasant relaxation of religion to the hard work of following Jesus down on the ground. You know, get down the mountain, Peter, and get back in the thick of the thi- thick of things. Might be the common point these sermons are trying to make. But you know it's not just Peter, I mean it's it's all of us. All of us. Our preference is generally for comfort, for safety, security. You know, we prefer that to discomfort, risk and uncertainty. Pleasure over pain, and who can blame us? Who among us wouldn't rather spend our days with our heads in the clouds over our hands nailed to a cross? I mean, Peter is not wrong. It's good to be up on the mountain rather than down here, because down here life is hard. Pain stinks, problems at work, family conflict, childhood Trauma, depression, anxiety, some of it our own making, some of it isn't. So who could blame us for wanting some kind of relief? It's completely natural, understandable. The problem is, though, that the relief that we seek is so often temporary. It's kind of like the trip up the mountain, it's temporary. I mean, what difference could hanging out on a mountain actually make in the end? doesn't change the fact that the rest of life's a mess. Not only that, but the relief we also seek can be incredibly destructive. I mean, let's be honest, one of the main reasons why we often turn to drinking, to using sex, eating, constantly checking our phones, high mountain religious, seeking the high mountain religious experience, name your poison of choice. It gives us a retreat from our pain our suffering our stress and even basic discomfort which like i said is understandable natural even there's no doubt of us each of us has our own little mountaintop dwelling we like to hang out in over the cross that we face in the bottom over the cross that is in the middle of life but it does nothing to change our problems and it's likely to destroy us in the process. Sometimes it just doesn't make a difference. Most of the time it just doesn't make a difference in our actual lives. Puts off, prolongs the pain. So what does make a difference then? Back to the text, back to the scripture. As Peter's Rolling out the canvas, and you know he's got the sleeping bags. You know he's got the Coleman out. (laughs) This is a bright cloud overshadows him and James and John. And it's not just airy mountain mist. It's not this horrible high overcast we have here today. But clouds are often signs of the presence of God, especially in the Old Testament. God's presence led the way for the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt in fire by night and by way of cloud by day we heard a very similar episode to this one the transfiguration our story deliberately echoes the story we heard from the Old Testament Moses going up on the mountain earlier too. So it's the presence of God the cloud signifies the presence of God. And then from the cloud. A voice. This is my son the beloved. With him, I am well pleased. Listen to him. Pay attention. Listen to this guy. He knows what he's saying. The guy that told him that he was headed for the cross and needed to take up their own, again, this guy's the Messiah for sure. Listen to what he says. Honestly, though, this does nothing to assuage Peter's fears about heading down the mountain because as soon as a voice booms out, you know, all three of them, they dive for the dirt, they hit the deck, they fall to the ground, and it says they're overcome by fear. It actually, you know, I love how the King James, the old traditional version, puts it. They were sore afraid. I mean, that's the same thing that, that, uh, that it says that uh, the angels experience when they meet, or that the shepherds experience when they meet the angels on Christmas. They were sore afraid. I mean, I guess reiterating just like, face your fears louder and harder doesn't seem to work with Peter and the gang. Even when God's the one saying it, hey, get down there. We need more than just cajoling clearly. So all three of them, Peter and James and John, are cowering, their faces are buried in the dirt. And as they're doing this, Jesus, he just quietly sidles on in as Jesus is wont to do. He comes, it says, and he touches them. You know, hand on the shoulder, hand on the head, we don't know, but he comes and he places a hand on the disciples. He reaches down and he touches them. And he says, get up and do not be afraid. But when the three of them look up, it's just, Plain old Jesus, the gleaming robe, Moses, Elijah, they're all gone. The cloud with the voice, it's not there, and all that's left is plain old Jesus. His touch, his words. Get up and do not be afraid. You know? Jesus touches, he says, and the three of them peel themselves up off the ground. They find their feet and they head back down to the mountain, back down the mountain, back to the world of the cross. So what makes the difference there? <laughs> what makes a difference? A simple touch from Jesus' hand makes a difference. And simple words from Jesus' mouth, get up, don't be afraid. What makes the difference? It's not the booming voice, no thunder, no fire. No earthquake. No. It's the still small voice of the compassionate Savior who they can see, who they can touch, who touches them. I mean, it's no accident that the get up is the same as the word used for resurrection. Just as Jesus earlier, earlier cured disease and death with a touch, his words raised Peter, John, and James out of the fear out of fear and death and he goes with them down to the world again this is what the voice in the cloud meant like listen to him when he says get up and don't be afraid listen to him get up don't be afraid you don't have to be afraid because Jesus they don't have to be afraid because Jesus goes with them they don't have to hide up in the heavens they don't have to hide up but they can go down because he brings heaven down with him This is what makes them stand, this is what casts out their fears, what gives them the courage not to back down, to face reality no matter how hard, no matter how painful or difficult it may be. What makes the difference is Emmanuel, the God who is with us, the Messiah who is with us and for us, one who promises to carry us through the cross to Easter Sunday. Listen to him, get up and be not afraid. Get up and be not afraid. Listen to him. You don't have to be afraid because Jesus is God with us. We're afraid. <laughs> Life is hard. Suffering stinks. We'll do anything to escape discomfort, displeasure, pain. Understandably, understandable as it may, it may be, we know we can only hide away so long Then that our hiding spots are just as likely to hurt us even more the bad news is that these are the lives we've got this is the world we've got it's one we've got to face life down the mountain we got to face it but the good news is that we can face it all on account of jesus in the face of jesus the light that is normally inaccessible has shone forth The voice that's too often draped in silence has spoken. We have a God who isn't just up there looking down on us. Vague and abstract, nice idea, but a God who reaches down, who comes to us, comes down the mountain with us in order to raise us up. I mean, it's no coincidence that this is the final reading before Lent, because Lent's where we learn to fear no evil, though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Well, the season where we go down the mountain with Jesus into the depths of life. The good news is that in Jesus Christ, the unshakable power of divine love has come down to you in your suffering, to you in your sin, to you in your cowardice, pain, and your shame. He's come down to you and is putting a hand on you saying, right here, right now, get up And don't be afraid. So you should probably listen to him. Because God is with you and for you. You can abandon the tent. You can leave your many escape plans behind. You can quit ducking for cover and substances and all the other distracting avoidances that are keeping you pinned down. Instead, you can get up and not be afraid because God is with you. You can make your way down the mountain and embrace the cross of daily existence because we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Listen to him, get up and be not afraid. Listen to him, get up and be not afraid. What has you running? What has you hiding? What is your favorite method of escape? Who or what are you hiding from and where? What do you use to hide? Where are you unable to go, whatever the case? Jesus is already there. Let these words be to you, both Jesus' hand on your shoulder and his divine voice ringing in your ear. Listen to him. Hear him when he says, Get up and be not afraid. Get up and be not afraid. Get up and be not afraid. Because it's time to head back down the mountain. And you can head back down the mountain. Because God is with you wherever you need to go. Get up. Don't be afraid. Head down. And live again already. Amen.